You're listening to Let's Bogart, the recreational review podcast where we rate hits by fading out before we fade in. So whether you're here for the plot or the pot, we'll roll cameras and roll joints and curate a pairing experience, both celluloid and cannabinoid in nature. <laughs> you didn't think I was going to let you get away without one more Dracula voice, especially with the movie that we've got going on. You know what, buds? I'm so excited. It's Halloween today. We've got an extra special Let's Bogart coming out to you. And let me tell you what. We've got, I've got a great episode for you. I'm really excited about this conversation. I got to speak to a really important guest to me. uh, Someone who smokes a lot of weed with me and watches a ton of horror movies and has great opinions about them. So I can't wait to tell you, to let you listen to the conversation that we have about it. I'm gonna I'm gonna quickly get through it because it's a long episode and it's Halloween night. We got places to be. So we did spinaches, GMO cookies, garlic mushroom, and onion cookies. It's a uh, uh, an indica. It's a strong indica. That constantly above 25%. Some this one that we had was 29%. Whoo! Pretty great. And we smoked that because we are doing Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a horror drama, horror movie from November 13th, 1992. It's two hours and eight minutes long, unless you're watching the director's cut, which is two hours and 35 minutes. We did the theatrical cut. It's rated 14A in Canada, and the MPAA give it an R rating. It's got a 75% positive rating on Rotten Tomatoes and a 57% positive rating on uh, Medicare critic so I'm, I'm and i'm very excited about the guest that i have on because she's very exciting so without further ado let me get you to one of the most coolest horror podcast creators in all of toronto ontario and canada daniel tell us about who we've got on the program today my next guest is adora nominated actress uh, and also a podcaster who writes, performs, records, writes the music for, and produces uh, a one-woman show on a dark, cold night, which is a collection of bedtime ghost stories to help you fall asleep and give you some wonderful Halloween chills. Uh, she is, uh, her favorite horror movie is The Haunting, uh, which is from 1963. Her favorite weed strain is Forbidden Fruit. Her favorite podcast is The Adventure Zone by the McElroy brothers. Her favorite f- horror video game is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, and her favorite horror book is The Bloody Chamber and other stories by Angela Carter. She's been on the podcast before, but we're so excited to have her back on. Please welcome to the show my fiance, Kristen Zaza. Kristen, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thanks for being here. So mm-hmm. uh, usually we start off uh, by talking about um, uh, your journey through weed, but we've already had you on the show, so we already know that story a little bit. So can you the talk? The journey to- goes ever on. And it on. does, doesn't it? Have it's you? Like do you feel that? <laughs> Sorry. Is there any anything uh, in weed that you have a different? 
opinion about or view of or anything since the last time we talked on the podcast? I mean, I probably have been using it less now that I uh, now that we're sort of out of lockdown. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's been different. I um. <laughs> but good. But it's all good. Like I think, however, you need to. You know what? Maybe maybe I've been exploring more CBD rather than you know products yeah. just for THC. Yeah. Um, and appreciating them a little bit more. Definitely. Um, and yeah, I, I think maybe taking a little bit more time away from it um, throughout my week makes me appreciate all the more when I do enjoy it. Definitely. Um, so that's maybe difference in, in trying it. I got a wonderful uh, PAX vape. Um, yeah, Paxera you. Pro. Yeah, Paxera Pro, and I love that. Um, that's been just a really cool thing. Uh, my wonderful fiance Daniel <laughs> got it for me and engraved it with my podcast logo yeah. on it, so that was just real cool. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much all that's new and exciting there. I love it. How about how about so this this uh, month we've been doing. Um, Halloween month, so it's all Halloween and horror movies. Uh, do you remember the first horror, movies horror movie? for Halloween? How groundbreaking! <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm always trying to find the cutting edge and trying to just live live dangerously out right out there on the borders. <laughs> uh, but do you remember? Do you remember the first horror movie you ever saw? Oh, um, you know. It probably would have been. That's a really interesting question. I think it might have been Rosemary's Baby. Um, oh wow! I remember, but I can't remember if I saw that before or after The Ring, and it would have been mm-hmm. around the same time. The the mm-hmm. American The Ring. Yeah. Um, because it was sort of around the age, maybe like 10 or 11, where me and my friends were just starting to realize that we could watch horror movies and it was like a big thing, <laughs> like a big, like, ooh, we're being bad, we're watching horror movies, we're gonna rent something scary kind of thing. <laughs> and um, I remember distinctly watching Rosemary's Baby at a friend's house and I was horrified and I thought it was so great. And they were like, bored and and afraid like too afraid like it was either too scary or too boring at the same time for them uh-huh. and i was like this just really is not your thing um <laughs> you that's know a what hard I mean? party it, title that's a hard one to like have a party around for a bunch of like 10 year old girls yeah <laughs> who are maybe like we're not really <laughs> we're, we're still new to horror as a genre yeah um and The Ring, I remember, was a big one that, like, around that age, everybody was like, you gotta watch The Ring. Have you seen The Ring? It was, like, <laughs> a big mark of, like, are you a cool grown-up kid yet? Sure. And I was like, I thought it was scary, but I didn't think it was amazing. I thought it was okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there were those. Um, and then around that same era would have been when I watched, like, Queen of the Damned, which we talked out already that's right interview yeah. with the vampire and that sure. was sort of like where my journey started off mm-hmm. um but the movie we're talking about today which i'm not gonna you know i won't get too ahead of myself yeah, yeah but this is one that like 
because my siblings are uh, quite older than me, um, they had, they loved Dracula, or at least my, my sister loved this Dracula. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had this poster in the basement of it, and it, like, haunted me <laughs> since I was, like, three. <laughs> um, and when I finally got the guts to watch it, that was a really cool big moment. So I was certainly, like, exposed to this movie at a very young age, which was kind of and cool. He- you described the poster to me. It's just that teaser poster where it's just the the face in the stone, right? Like the like the gargoyle. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. him is what it looks like, and it was just so iconic. This pale gray with yeah. the bloody red writing. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's cool because, uh, like, even at that age, you know what Dracula is, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people go out for Halloween as him. They make fun of him on Scooby Doo, like. He's a very popular figure. Um, there's Chocula. We get it. Um, we, there's the Count. Like, we get the Dracula uh, reference. The yeah. As a kid, like, you you know of him. Um, but then to see this really horrific one really mythologized him for me. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. Did you see any of the, the comedy ones before this, uh, uh, the, the Dracula movie? The, like, um... Mm. Uh, Mel like Brooks dead and or anything? It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to think what I would have seen that had Dracula. Like, I certainly had seen a bunch of Three Stooges. That was a big one in my family. Um, and mm-hmm. they had things like where they went to haunted houses, but I don't think they ever had like a like an actual Dracula figure. Sure. Unlike you know, I think Abbott and Costello might have. There were certainly. You know what I mean? There were some that yeah. did like, you know, Abbott and Costello meets meet the Wolfman and Dracula. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm I'm not making that up, am I? That was a thing. Yeah, I think do they do they meet each one individually or is it uh, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein and then all the rest of them are in that one? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> As Let's I said, it. we were more of a three stooges household. Sure. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um d- uh the uh, the other one that you talked about, the ring, um, mm-hmm. that was directed by Gore Verbinski, who I know you are a fan of from the the first uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. Did you see anything in the ring that would have mm-hmm. indicated that he would have made uh, uh, one of your favorite pirate movies? There is some water travel. I think Naomi mm-hmm. Watts takes a ferry to the island or something. <laughs> There's a lot of water in the ring. There is. Um, I I can't say I can't say so. No. Maybe maybe it. it you notice from movies from horror movies in the 2000s, there is a bit more of this like epic adventure feel to them that I think we don't always get anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm like to, to horror movies. Of, yeah, like um, more of a like thriller adventure angle huh. that I feel we don't get a lot. I'm trying to think of another good example. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Maybe all in all, it seemed more like a, you know, a journey, an epic journey on Naomi Watts's behalf. But um, I mean, I can't say so. I can't really say. I noticed. <laughs> like, I didn't even really know that he directed it. It's not, like, one of my favorite movies ever. Sure. 
Uh, if there was uh, a, a favorite director of yours that hasn't done a horror movie, who, who uh, which one, which director would it be, and what uh, st- kind of horror story would you want them most to tell? Interesting. Mm. So I was gonna say, because my one of my maybe my favorite movie of all time is Amadeus, and that's Milo. Sure. Forman. Yeah. Um, and I was gonna say that, but I, I I can't necessarily say that. Like, would I appreciate a horror movie by Milos Forman? I mean, I mean, it would certainly. I look for. I look for opulent. Who's to say? I mean, maybe he has directed one. I'm not sure. I don't really know his repertoire that well. Uh, um, I don't think. I don't think so. Mm. I'm looking it up right now. I uh, no, it doesn't look like it. Oh, two thousand and two thousand and six. He did Goya's Ghosts. No, this is a drama. Ah. Uh, no, that's it. Label a heretic by a monk. Get out of here. Hmm. No, so I, I, I would have I would have loved to have seen him do a horror movie. I think he would have brought a lot of humanity to it. Yeah, I think that would be pretty cool. So I'll what kind I, of horror movie? Like a, a ghost story, a, uh, a vampire movie, a wolfman movie? I'd like to see a ghost story in the vein of like, a, you know, The Haunting or, or Turn of the Screw inspired thing where it's... Because um, I really love those, like The Innocents. Uh, yeah. Obviously we mentioned The Haunting. Um like a Victorian manor, and we have a sort of. Uh, I, it should be a period film, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like the idea of like you know the governess is alone in the house and she's <laughs> trying to figure it out and figure out what happened here. But is it is it the house's past? Is it her own mind, her own memories, or is it a combination of the two? I bet that would be pretty cool. That being said, um, I do really like a good. 18th century werewolf film um, that sounds (laughs) way too specific but I'm thinking like The Company of Wolves um, Mm -hmm. which was uh, yeah Neil Jordan and he did Mm -hmm. a lot of 18 he loves or at least I'm assuming he loves doing 18th century stuff after Interview with the Vampire and you know there's a lot of that in in The Company of Wolves Um, so you know, seeing how gorgeous Amadeus is and how sumptuous, you know, the idea yeah, of taking opulent. those costumes yeah. and those sets and this wonderful flair for, you know, staging mm-hmm. and telling like a monster story out of that. He'd also do a pretty, pretty amazing Dracula. <laughs> yeah, he sure would. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it would be it would be certainly the costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, I take that. Um, oh, what was I gonna say? I had a good question. It's gone now. Um, yeah, give me the bad question. Okay, the bad question is this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, did you hear about? Did you hear about uh, uh, the new Wolfman movie that's getting made? It's uh, um, the guy directed uh, Beyond the Valley of the Pines or whatever. Beyond the Pine. Beyond the. What is it? <laughs> Blue the Valley of the Pines. <laughs> Blue Valentine, he did as well. Uh, and Ryan Gosling are doing a Wolfman movie. Mm-hmm. 
You like a you like Ryan Gosling as a wolf? Is that good? good no, casting? <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't really care about that. Oh, um, I really, <laughs> I'm not. I mean, he's fine. He's he's a fine actor. I, I'm not like the biggest Ryan. I'm not a big Gosling head. No. Um, and I can't say that I'm into that director. I probably haven't seen much of his work. Um, he's probably great. It'll, I'm sure it'll be good. It's just I that I really I like Valentine too. Blue Valentine was really heart wrenching. Mm. Uh, I just really liked um, Joe Johnston's Wolfman 2010 with Benicio sure. del Toro, and I think it did not get nearly enough credit for how <laughs> good it was. So before we're ready to make a super cool Wolfman, I'm just gonna point. <laughs> I'm just gonna point everyone towards that Benicio del Toro Wolfman because. I that think that one was awesome. pretty cool. Yeah, it's got really great casting in it and pretty epic. Amazing. Like <laughs> Joe Johnston is so good at like uh, the opera of horror. It's <laughs> oh, like a roller coaster. You're having yeah. a blast, and mm-hmm. it's scary and it's gothic and beautiful. It's it's all that I would want from a werewolf movie. Yeah, but you know, not everyone agreed, and that's okay. They're allowed. <laughs> I really liked it. I like Benicio <laughs> del Toro. I like Anthony Hopkins. I like Emily Blunt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving. Yeah, great cast. Holy shit, great cast. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I think you have to be sort of unabashed to to make a to make a Wolfman movie that good. And Joe Johnston is great for that. That's why you use him for like Captain America and Rocketeer and stuff. Like he's he's pretty he's pretty great at just being like. This is the thing. It's it's heightened. It's it's uh, uh, operatic. Absolutely, um, I totally agree with that, and I think that works really well with the Wolfman. I think we want to. I don't know the directions that people usually take werewolf movies in, and I I wrote a lot about this in well a lot. I wrote an essay about werewolf movies in university no. that I was very proud of. Um, and just the the monstering element, the transformation, and how how epic it is, and how because um, Rick Baker did the makeup for that Wolfman in 2010, and he Love also did Rick an American Baker. Werewolf in London, sure did, um, which is like probably the most iconic werewolf transformation scene, I think. I think, yeah. Um, and there's just something so. Uh, cathartic about watching someone turn into a monster and then be set loose you know and and that joe johnston goes with the the fun and the intensity and it, it's mm-hmm. scary but he's not afraid to be funny yeah. um i thought it was a great it, it, it was great it was great harkening back to american werewolf in london which was exactly the same right it's scary yeah. it's funny it's it's uh like a roller coaster so um yeah that was cool and a really cool, uh, int- uh, uh, yeah, yeah, really cool, like, the, the opportunity that Rick Baker would then have in the 80s to make a seminal changing from human being to a werewolf and then get to re-explore that decades later with different technology and, totally. uh, you know, uh, the everything else that Hollywood has done in terms of transformations, CGI, Stuff that he didn't yeah. have access to to be able to to retry and do something maybe a bit different. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. Very cool. Well done and fun. Yeah. Very good. 
Very cool. Mm-hmm. All right, and we got to uh, well, uh, we we did smoke some weed while we were watching the movie. Don't that we watched. tell them that. I'm Daniel. telling. We're being very upfront about <laughs> it. All right. <laughs> you you've clicked on this. We assume that unless you're Kristen's or my mother, uh, you probably are interested in the weed that we're actually doing. Um, and the weed that we smoked for this one was a super popular cultivar that's come out. It's Spinach's GMO Cookies. Yeah. You, you got to smoke the GMO cookies. We have people coming into the store all the time specifically looking for that. I've had quite a few come in, GMO cookies? And I'm like, no, we're out, sorry. And they turn around and walk uh, out. Wow. They're just, they're just interested in that. And you picked it because the G stands for garlic? It sure does. Garlic, mushroom, and onion cookies. Now, I've seen... There are other... I need those cookies. I'm not going to lie. I like a savory... You like a savory cookie? A savory baked good. (laughs) I don't know if I could say I've had a savory cookie. I've tried to make savory cakes before. Sure. It didn't work out, but I did it all anyway. Absolutely. (laughs) Don't let it go to waste. Oh, I'm gonna eat that garlic cake. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go I've on. heard I've heard people talk about like maybe GMO cookies did not start out as garlic, mushroom, and onion, but that the the garlicky sort of aftertaste that comes along with this one, like it's it's got a really sweet, like pungent, um, earthy taste to it, and it's got some limonene in it, and it's got some linalool, so that's kind of like floral and. Uh, citrusy, but also uh, like bisabolol and humulin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that it it has sort of an aftertaste of of savoriness. Did you experience that while smoking it? Um, I can't say that I really it it jumped out at me. No, to be honest, I wasn't like, oh, that's garlic. Yeah, I don't. No, know. no, no. It's very <laughs> faint, very faint. But yeah. people. I, I, I don't think people are coming in looking for it specifically because of the taste profile. I think that it's the fact that they've been coming out and like the first lot that we got of them at the store was at 30% THC, which is high, very high. Um, and we've had we've had other lots that have come out and it's been sort of sort of gradually coming down, but it's staying like above 25, which is pretty impressive. Mm hmm. Um, did you find that this hit harder than other weeds that you've been smoking? Um, well, we talked a little bit about how right away it did, but then yeah. it kind of faded pretty fast. That's, um, yeah, that's that how I feeling, feel. Not, you know, not to, uh, be negative right away. Cause it was a, it was a good high at first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I was like that the entire film, it might've been intense, but, mm-hmm. uh, it mellowed out after. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, that's that's maybe my one um, my one complaint about it is that uh, it, it because it has such a high DHC percentage, I think it really does smack you right off the top. But uh, but I do find that I need to re up over the course of the night, and then my night becomes about trying to to keep it up rather than being able to have it and then let it uh, sort of run its course take an adventure mm-hmm. with it you know yeah but as a but at, you know there's it's rare that uh, a Canadian on Ontario uh, uh, 
company is coming out with uh, something that's above 25% THC and is at the price that it is. Spinach is still very value-oriented. Uh, um, right. So you can pick up a 3.5 for under... I think it's like thirty three ninety nine or something. Like that's that's under a street price. That's pretty great. Hmm. Awesome. Um, I mean, you bought it for us, so I sure did. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, spinach is owned by the Kronos Group, which also owns Cove, um, which is their more like a craft brand uh, 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 version. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I really like the Cove stuff. Um, and uh, spinach still has um, uh, the one of the ones I love uh, uh, telling people to try is their dance hall because it's one of the only like really high CBD ones and low THC ones that we have that is a sativa. So some people don't don't want to feel like drowsy at all or don't want to feel like it's going to end the night just to have mm-hmm. a little bit of weed and dance hall is a really great one and a great tasting one for that kind of a experience to be up and at it and uh taking on the world but also not have like a, a debilitating amount of high to have to <laughs> wade through to concentrate on stuff mm-hmm. oh my god that cat is just wailing you want me to let him in Ah, uh, maybe. Yeah, he's. <laughs> yeah, okay, it's, it's pretty loud. Okay, sorry, babe. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. So GMO cookies has. Uh, yeah, its its dominant terpene profile is myrcene, limonene, and caryophylline, but. It does have some bazobalol, linalool, and humulene, all of which I think are relaxing. It's a it's a heavy indica, and GMO cookies can live in hybrid territory depending on uh, what phenotype you're you're growing and what what genetics you have access to in seeds. Um, but this one I felt was pretty pretty indica, other than it it. Uh, uh, doesn't give much of a like once once it starts fading it fades without like i guess making you feel sleepy so you're still mm-hmm. like ready to ready to go and raring to take on the night i guess mm-hmm. uh but you're just not high so i i wish that i wish that i, I don't know I, there's something there's something about it that it isn't uh giving me the the longevity of a, of the feeling that i'm looking for yeah. Yeah, uh I I guess I experienced that when we watched this movie. That yeah. makes sense. Um it's uh it's grown in Peace Naturals Products Incorporated in Stainer, Ontario, which is an hour and a half northeast of Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um what else was interesting about this? Oh, uh, August 2020, when asked why Spinach uh, called themselves a cannabinoid company instead of a cannabis company, Director of Product Development Gordon Hagen of the Kronos Group uh, said the Kronos Group is focused on creating best-in-class cannabinoid products, whether they are derived from cannabis plants or a biosynthetic source. I'm very interested in that because that sounds like... I don't know, like uh, like Frankenstein level shit, right? Mm-hmm. 
trying yeah. to derive cannabinoids from synthetic uh, synthetic forms rather than the, uh, the plant. Mm. And do you think that that would be like, would that have any impact on, I don't know, well, anything health-wise it, or physiologically? I don't know. I, 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 I mean, I honestly don't know, but I do see that... I don't know. I see that the the high THC percentage of GMO cookies and the uh, the low price that they're able to maintain and the sort of I guess I hate to say it, but like the the disappointment I had because it was such a hot mm. t- item and I was really excited to try it. And at first I was like, oh, this is why. And then feeling it dissipate really kind of turned me off of it. So yeah, for I. Sure. I am interested if there's something in that philosophy of uh, uh, trying to, I guess, fight the natural, uh, not, I guess, fight it. Because everyone, even craft growers who are really, I guess, more, uh, I don't know, <laughs> respectful of the of the plant, um, are still trying to find the phenotype that has the most potential for THC and the most uh the you know the the best version of it. They're not just going, well, let's just pick one at random. They're going through a lot to make sure that the the consumer is getting something that they really appreciate. Mm-hmm. But I do wonder if there's something in that philosophy. So there's something in that that makes my my ear kind of twinge a little bit. Um that they're looking for the I don't know the 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 uh, coolest way to uh, create uh, uh, cannabinoid products while while saying that they're not really a cannabis company. Mm. I, I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It it makes me wonder about this because because on the market right now, THC percentage is such a big reason why people are attracted to an item or not in terms of buying it and as time goes on we're we're discovering more and more that thc percentage means very little and terpene profile means a whole lot more um and so i wonder what uh what what that what that means if there's if there's something that's uh not being catered to or if there's something that's being overlooked in in hope to uh, appeal to the average consumer, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not spinach. If you're listening, I I really like some of your products. This one I was just not that that into. Yeah, which is fair. He he wasn't into the Frankenstein weed. Okay, wasn't into your Frankenstein weed. <laughs> Even though it seems in keeping with uh, with the season, mm-hmm. no, I have had I, I've had their diesel and I enjoyed it. I, I I have had other spinach. You know the Cove stuff. I'm really into it. Grown in the Okanagan and BC weed, and I I felt uh, very great about that. So I don't know. So, there's some stuff that I I'm really enjoying, but uh, GMO cookies. I would just uh, if someone came in looking for even. Um, I don't know. I really like cookie strains too. Anything that's coming from Girl Scout cookies is really exciting to me, and yeah. uh, and that's where this comes from. But yeah, it's just a cultivar that I'm not I'm not uh, obsessed with. Is it something that you, having experienced it, would ever seek out? 
No. No, yeah. I wouldn't, to be honest. It's not... Um, I, I, like, I obviously don't know nearly as much as you do about this stuff, but um, I, I'm the same way as I am with wine, with weed, where... Sure. Uh, I only really take notice if I really like something. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm fine to sit down and have whatever Merlot or Shiraz or whatever you've got, like, and it'll be perfectly fine. But the only time I'll actually care, like, like if I have a wine, a glass of wine that makes me stop and think, like, that's actually delicious. Yeah. <laughs> which happens kind of rarely. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like it. I just like red wine. I just like weed. But, sure. like, then every now and then I'll come across a wine that I'm like, I want this one again. Like, this one was fantastic. And then mm-hmm. I'll then I'll learn the name and make sure I remember it and seek it mm-hmm. out. Um, so I can't say I had that experience uh, like I do, I said, I do the same thing with, with weed where, you know, like, um, I'm happy to try. Maybe I'm a little bit more picky because, you know, I know that I've got to, I, I would rather have indica or an indica leading hybrid or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do have some preferences with weed that I probably don't have with wine other than I like red. Um, mm-hmm. But... Uh, you know, if if I have a really good experience with with a weed, I'll definitely remember it and seek it out. Otherwise, I'm happy to like, you know, if you're like, hey, we're having this tonight. Great. Sounds good. <laughs> you know, um, and this one yeah, it didn't really stick with me as one that I'd I'd be excited to like really got to get that one again. You know, Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but it was one that was uh, named garlic mushroom and onion cookies, and that made it uh, a seemingly a perfect pairing uh, spiritually for the movie we did, which was Dracula. <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula, directed mm. by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, who? Who? So uh, that brings us to the end of our first segment, which means it's time for our first game. This is a game you've played before, Kristen, but it's oh, no. a game that is called In It to Minute. In It to Minute. In It to Minute. That's where you, our guest, gets 60 seconds to tell us everything that happens in Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. Can I sing the theme song? Uh, in It think- to Minute. In It to Minute. Oh, I see. I thought you meant of Dracula, and I was. I like, can do that too. <laughs> I mean, how long will that take you? Anyway. All right. So we're looking for a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I'll tell you right now, everyone gets stuck on that first act. You've done it. You've gotten stuck there before. So <laughs> now is your time to uh, redeem yourself. So Kristen Zaza, are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm ready. All right, 59 seconds on the board and go! All right, so there's this man and he's in Transylvania and his name is Dracula. He gets an unexpected visit. Well, no, it's actually very expected. Um, From a solicitor, Keanu Reeves, Jonathan Harker, um, who... Uh, he's he's selling him some property in England. Meanwhile, he gets stuck in the castle with a bunch of lady vampires. <laughs> and then uh, Dracula, meanwhile, goes across the ocean because he sees a picture of Harker's wife or fiance and is like, that's actually my wife from oh. um, hundreds of years ago. <laughs> uh, so he crosses oceans of time to find her. 20 and, seconds. Um, Oh, and then he uh, destroys everything that she loves, all of her friends, uh, ruins her life. But God, they love each other so much. And uh, there's fighting. 
and eventually she saves the day and he is uh, for some reason absolved <laughs> and it's a happy ending <laughs> you did it oh it's yeah. so good was that a good summary of that? That was a story. Yeah, I think I think it's a solid summary. I think it's a summary that will be used across universities in all of the world to teach uh, what what happened in Friends for Cobblest Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> all right, don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're gonna hear what Kristen Zaza has to say about Francis for Cobblest Dracula right here on Halloween month on Let's Bogart. Stay tuned. Hey, buds, thanks for tuning into the program. We're just going to take a quick second away from the uh, conversation that we're having right now to talk about uh, an organization that we here at Let's Bogard think is worth paying attention to, and that is translifeline.org. Translifeline.org is run by and for trans people. It was begun in 2014, shortly after Trans Day of Remembrance, and it's a grassroots hotline and micro-grants nonprofit organization offering direct emotional and financial financial support to trans people in crisis for the trans community by the trans community. Uh, Their mission reads as Trans Lifeline connects trans people to the community support and resources they need to survive and thrive. Their vision is they envision a world where trans people have the connection, economic security, and care everyone needs and deserves free of prisons and police. Uh, Talking about their impact, they uh, have had 106... 1,579 calls answered, $738,399 in funds dispersed to those who need it, and over 600 operators trained. So they're really doing the work in trying to address uh, 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 concern that is in the community right now that uh, uh, the pandemic is affecting everybody, right? And... The, there's some people who are, are suffering more than other, others or need specific help with uh, uh, their specific lives that they're going through. So they also help to be able to, hope to be able to offer text and chat support in the community in the coming years. So uh, they're working very hard for the community. Let's help them out. Go to translifeline.org. You can donate. You can volunteer. They have a, a, a portal where you can apply to work for them. Uh, you follow them on, on Instagram at, at translifeline um, and get involved. Tell somebody you know about them. Uh, maybe make a donation. Maybe uh, help out in whatever way you can, even if it's just giving them a, a quick follow. Uh, getting the word out there and bringing awareness is what we're trying to do here. So let's all do that together and we'll have a bigger impact than any one of us could have alone. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, uh, now back to the conversation. All right, Kristen, we're back. So, Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Ish. Ish. He uh, he calls it Bram Stoker's Dracula. That doesn't seem to be because he is uh, being more um, respectful of the source material or anything. It's not like it's a it's a one to one. Let's just use the book as a right. I think it's pretty close. Of all of them, I think it's pretty close. I do know that he uses the letters and stuff, which is a big part of the the novel. Yeah, I haven't read it in a long time. And even when I did read it, I don't think I finished it. It's not like... mm, 
now I know I shouldn't say this because, yeah, again, I don't think I finished it, but like I've seen a bunch of different Draculas. I've read different versions of the story. I feel I'm okay. Like I learned a lot about the actual Vlad the Impaler. I feel like I'm still a pretty reliable source. Um, But so, so, you know, I I can't say with absolute certainty, but um, I don't think it's an amazing book. I think (laughs) Bram Stoker, you know, um, which is pretty amazing because uh, you love Dracula. Like you, I do. You, yeah, yeah. I do. I think it's a great skeleton of a story. Sure. I think the characters are great. I think we respond to more to the the characters than the actual writing of them. Like we like the drama of, um, you know, we've got the the young people, the two young women, and their and the the men and the romance going on there. Uh, but you know yeah like it feels more like almost a soap opera in that way where we have these characters and they can kind of it it's very easy to take the structure of this story and turn it into something that fits your design as a director or a creator mm-hmm. you know like um i've seen staged versions of it um that really play around with with you know, where the characters fit in the story and, in my opinion, improve it. Like, mm-hmm. I think that um, the one that came before, many came before it, but, like, I think that the Frank Langella Dracula mm-hmm. um, is less, is way less close to the book, right? Like, basically, sure. Mina and Lucy get switched around and, um, you know, there, there's... There's some interesting playing around. Van Helsing is Lu- is Mina's father. Right, um, yeah. You know, they do some interesting things there that make the story work better. Or, um, you know, Stratford did a production that, that I think made the brilliant choice of having Lucy be uh, the love interest, Dracula's real love interest in the, mm-hmm. the reincarnation of his wife. And then when she gets killed, because she does after he turns into her, vam- her into a vampire... Um, it becomes a revenge story on Dracula's part. Like, you sure. killed the one woman I love, the thing I love most in the world, you murdered. Um, now I'm going to destroy all of your lives. I think right. they're really interesting archetypal characters that you can mix around and, you know, really play with. Um, in this sense, I think that this version, the Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula's <laughs> lover, um, <clears throat> is uh more accurate like like they're more focused on telling the story as stoker intended it um right. except except i think it's way more romantic um mm-hmm. again this is from my vague memory of the book so please please don't come at me um <laughs> don't come at me all of podcast land all of the podcast but, listeners <laughs> but like it's it's fairly close um it's it's more that like yeah there's a huge emphasis on that he really loves Mina and you know he doesn't want to hurt her and I'm pretty sure in the book he's like <laughs> he's just like I'm going to I'm going to get you <laughs> like he's just a huge predator who's just off to get everybody yeah. um and he doesn't have at, le- at least my impression is he doesn't have any particular like investment in anyone over anyone else except mm. that like maybe they stand in his way more in getting Mina. 
and sure. maybe that gets him angry. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been a while, uh, but so, I, I do think it's pretty accurate. Yeah. So when when we were deciding which of the Dracula movies that we were going to talk mm-hmm. about, you talked about wanting to do this one. Is that you pointed out that it's specifically the romance uh, uh, thing that sets this apart from perhaps other uh, uh, versions that have come before it or after it. Uh, is that the the thing that makes this movie um, uh, the one that you would want to talk about the most? I'm going to say no, actually. The oh, reason, I think it's it's the style. It's the direction. It's the, sure. the filmmaking. It's the costume design. It's the surrealism. It's the the fact that he treated it like a theatrical production. You know, mm-hmm. I think that it's it's just a gorgeous film. You know, whether or not I agree with everything they do story-wise or all of the performances or, you know, like, <laughs> um, I have disagreements with it, but <laughs> I think it's a gorgeous film experience. Sure. Well, let's let's start with the uh, the disagreements. What are the things that stand out to you as big misses in this version of Dracula as a movie? Ke- Keanu Reeves' accent. <laughs> <laughs> I love him to death. I love him so much, but it's not Bukovina. Bukovina. <laughs> and like. <laughs> <laughs> what in fact happened to Mr. Redfield in Transylvania? Like Transylvania. it's it does with his little top hat and his little <laughs> like suit, he does feel a bit like he's playing dress up. Yeah. And Winona Ryder's accent is not much better. Yeah. Um so I, I also think like um there's a there's a uh, the, hmm it's tricky because the sexual elements, like the sexual maturation of the two young women in it, <laughs> or or the way they deal with with women's sexuality in it, mm. is is a little bit. Let me take that again because I stumbled. Is that okay? Sure, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, the way he deals with. Uh, women's sexuality is I think very much through the male gaze which to be fair is Bram Stoker too right like sure if you read passages of um you know the way they murder Lucy it's very like sexualized like sure I don't know there's a lot said in he penetrated her with the stake going into her heart yeah exactly there's a lot of discussion in like you know the academic community or people discussing this book about how clearly like you know and there's a difference too between the brides who are very sexually confident and mature and then Mm -hmm. the young women who before they become vampires like you know Mina and Lucy are like naive and innocent and the object of every man's desire but then this this uh, man from another country which is you know another (laughs) element of the story that's kind of dumb comes in and corrupts their young women and um you know, it's uh, virgins and, the, and whores territory, kind of. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a little. And and this movie. So while I think that it uh, 
Mm, it leans into that, and it's not that it's not in the source material. It's just that it's not the best part of the source material. Sure. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you're going to veer from the text, maybe that's a good way, good place to do it, you know? <laughs> like, I will say that um, Langella's Dracula uh, has a very strong, I think, well... It has strong feminist elements. I can't say that the ending really sticks the landing, but uh, Kate Nelligan as as Lucy is a really interesting portrayal of that. Of you know, it, it's an interesting counter watch to the way they deal with with women's sexuality in this Dracula. Um, so and you think that comes from through her performance? I think it's the writing as well. I think they they mm. write it in that she's. She is um, she's a more challenging conquest for Dracula because she is pretty much outright a feminist, you know, like a Victorian right. feminist figure, which is pretty cool. Like it's absolutely in the in the script. Um, but yeah, with with this Dracula, uh, it kind of misses the mark for me in some ways because, like, um. We don't need to see. Sadie Frost does such a good job with Lucy, but I feel that she's unnecessarily sexualized in certain moments. Like when mm. every time she's about to die, like, or she's really sick, we see at least one of her boobs. And <laughs> it's unnecessary. The yeah. making, the, the girls kissing in the rain for, like, you know, basically what feels like the director told us to, because there's no reason. Yeah. Um, not that two girls can't enjoy a kiss in the rain. I every <laughs> I once in a while, every should. now and again, it's raining after all. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, you gotta like, find the sunlight somehow. It, it feels that it's it's through the male gaze. You yeah, know what sure. I mean? It, it feels yeah. very like we would like to see this, or you know, uh, um. So so yeah, that's 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 one element. Um. That being said, I don't. I'm torn because the movie is very clearly trying to take all of the sexual things that we already think and feel about this book yeah. and just put them to the forefront. So, sure. I mean, and when I say we, I mean, probably like most <laughs> like Bram Stoker. Sure. Yeah, yeah. A man. <laughs> a man. Yeah. A man's <laughs> interpretation of a man's interpretation of the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it's not that it wasn't in the book. It's just that I, I don't think we needed to leave that part of the book in this movie. Right. But, uh, you know. There does seem to be, like, in in what Francis Ford Coppola has talked about, even in the, the casting of Keanu Reeves, um, he talked about, you know, just needing to cast someone uh, hot for the, the girls to uh, to come like there was uh, you know in every Hollywood movie you're thinking about quadrants and uh, the studio is putting pressure on you as an artist to make sure that they have the elements they need to attract the widest possible audience. But and they already, already had Richard E. Grant. I mean, what else? Could you, he's if you if you don't know, let's Bogart listeners. Um, Richard E. Grant is my boyfriend. <laughs> don't tell my fiance. Don't tell Richard E. Grant. No, please tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Let him tell in him on I'm, it. I've been waiting for, <laughs> for 30 years. <laughs> no, not since I was two, but uh, <laughs> for a long time. For a long I've time. That's a long time to hold a candle. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, yeah. So, I, I mean, there was, there was some... Um, 
there is some already kind of crude reasoning for putting <laughs> sexuality sure. on the screen, I guess. In, in, I understand that that's not a male gaze thing, but it is a, uh, a business thing, maybe mm-hmm. more than an artistic thing. Yeah, do we need to see, you know, Anthony Hopkins as Van Helsing? Um, His veiny shaft just uh, glistening in the moonlight. Oh, that, <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> and it uh, it derailed me. Sorry, um, sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, just, you know, the scene where Mina becoming a vampire seduces him and he sort of kisses oh, yeah. her boobs and it's very uncomfortable and you're like that girl's young and yeah you know they're good performers they <laughs> but like is that in the book i don't think that's in the book <laughs> yeah no and there's 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 bits of like they're trying to i guess make van helsing someone who pushes boundaries like it, when he's with, uh, uh, when he meets, uh, absolutely, he Mina manhandles the, the women. Yeah, yeah. Even before that moment, even in talking to the men, he's like, yeah, we cut off her head and then we put a stake through her heart, and it was all like he doesn't care. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't don't worry about Lucy. She's not Lucy anymore. Just murder her. It's fine. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're like, I don't know. That's that was my fiance. I have a lot of feelings. He's like, don't have feelings about them. They're, they're no, women. they're you creatures of the night. It's fine. Whatever, like, whoa. <laughs> um, great performance. Yeah. Of course, Anthony Hopkins does a great job at the performance. And I think it's an interesting take on Van Helsing. They certainly go for, like, he's the opposite of Dracula in that Dracula just brings death and decay everywhere he goes. And Van Helsing is very much all about life. He likes to eat. He likes to dance. Yeah, he likes drink. to laugh. Yeah, he likes to drink. He likes to uh, joke. He does that thing <laughs> harass about women. Oh well, yeah. Uh, well. I mean, I think the direction was trying to take us more in a like. He just loves. He's a hot-blooded man. You yeah, know, yeah, he yeah. loves. He likes red meat. He likes to grope ladies. I'm like, well, what the are the one thing that him and Dracula have in common? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're both. They're both predators. Yeah. Yeah, I do like the joke that he says. It, it, apparently, it's a quote from like a like a sort of quote from an old philosopher at the time. But he talked about the rise. He's talking to his students about the rising of syphilis, and well, he says uh, civilization and civilization have risen together. <laughs> and the class just politely does a <laughs> smart people enjoying their humor. <laughs> oh yikes. <laughs> Uh, so talk to me about talk to me about um, uh, uh, the costumes in this because I know you have feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, the costumes I think are just one of the huge selling points of this film. Um, Eiko Ishioka uh, designed the costumes for this. I don't know. I think she won an Academy Award. If she didn't, she certainly should have. I think um, she did. Yeah. She. Is just my favorite, like uh, kind of like with <laughs> with weed and red wine. Um, it's not often that I th- I think to myself like I have to check out who designed the costumes for this film, yeah. and you know I I understand that that's a like a blind spot on my part as an artist. You know, obviously sure. it's a very important element of storytelling, but you know when it's an Eiko Ishioka film, yeah. um, you know, 
and uh, they spent, they put all of the budget in the costume design rather than on the sets. Um, Cause Coppola was saying, you know, we're going to tell the story more through what the characters are wearing rather than when it, where they are. And the sets are, you know, lovely too, but um, the costumes cost a ton and they're very uh, symbolic and stylized. Like yeah. the first thing we see pretty much is Dracula in the wolf armor. Mm-hmm. which is designed after the musculature of a wolf and it's red. It looks so surreal. Like it's almost like it should be in like Dune, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, Gary Oldman hated it. He couldn't move in it and he was very <laughs> frustrated. Um, what else? Oh, the, the beautiful cape that he wears when he's in his crypt. Yeah. That's, um, excuse me. That's uh, designed after Klimt's, yeah. uh was it specifically the kiss or I think it was just made to look like a Klimt painting with the yeah. patchwork gold and patterns. Um, and of course the frilled lizard wedding gown that, that Lucy is buried in and then comes back as a vampire in uh, is yeah. iconic. Like if you, if you haven't seen this movie, you've certainly on Instagram or somewhere, I'm sure <laughs> seen images of Sadie Frost as Lucy, where she's wearing this, white white wedding gown with the this huge collar that was yeah designed after a frilled lizard mm. and um and her face is white she's wearing this really strange headdress and it's weird too because never again do we see any of the vampire brides or Mina as a vampire or anything sure um look quite like that you know what I mean? Yeah, With the really yeah. white paint on her face and the red, red lips and the, like, she is singular in the film. You know, it's, yeah. it, if you didn't watch the whole movie, but you watched the crypt scene with Lucy, hmm. you would still get an amazing experience. You know what I mean? You could take that yeah. scene out and watch it and be like, wow, that was a great vampire short film. Well, and I think like you're talking about with the the philosophy behind the costume design, I think that even with uh, Dracula, they uh, uh, Coppola doesn't set about setting up any rules or anything. Yeah. And so therefore every scene just gets to be whatever the emotional uh, uh, the, the emotional high point for Dracula might be. So we see him as this like old man. We see him as a young man just because why? Just because he drained his blood. Like where, when did that happen? Um, he turns into a wolf. He turns into a bat beast at one point. Mm-hmm. He, like taking elements from the Dracula story, but then making these big operatic uh, uh level images with with them and not and therefore being able to keep the audience surprised by Dracula's and by the image of all of the characters totally and some of that I think is probably the book right like the that he turn he can turn into mist he can turn into a wolf he can sure. turn into bats he can uh he can be old he can be young it, I I believe um I don't know if it's in the book or in something I read about this film. I feel like it was more in this film where they also talked about in certain scenes, especially in the beginning when he's um, in the red uh, cape and he's old yeah. and he has this strange hair and like a long braid. And again, he's designed after a lizard um, mm-hmm. in that one. But they also talk about wanting him to 
be kind of androgynous and he looks old but mm-hmm. also young he you know mm-hmm. uh masculine yet feminine um animal yet human like they wanted Beautiful, him to have this ugly. um yeah. very like uh uh what would you call that like like he's just walking he's walking every uh tightrope you know every uh yeah. liminal space um and it he's makes finding you just the- not yeah you you can't you can't figure him out any scene mm-hmm. you know and you're right that 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 makes us feel it, it keeps us on our toes um mm-hmm. and and it's i think even more subtle than that too because it'll be like his maybe even the contact lenses are different you know sure. like he doesn't yeah. always look the same every, actually i might have read something about that as well that they wanted every transformation to be different mm-hmm. i'm pretty sure i saw that that like every time you see him whether he transforms from again old to young uh vampire man to vampire uh vampire to animal whatever that yeah, like yeah. it never is the same yeah every time he transforms um and that's really fascinating and well done in this yeah. in this movie. The uh, the music is also a big part of what gives the the feeling of operatic and uh, I mean a lot of that's coming from Francis Ford Coppola and who he's deciding to work with. But uh, yes. the score is a is a big one in our household because of of you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Wojciech Killar, um, it's really incredible. It's, I think, one of the scariest scores I can think of. You know, the first scene where he's, we see him as a human, uh, renounce God and then yeah. become cursed. Yeah. And the music taking this, like, you know, taking both DSE Ray, DSE La Chance, um, as well as uh, other sort of, I, I don't know if it's in Latin or Romanian, but other chanting, like mixing whispered Latin hymns with like, you know, droning building really like, like it's a horror score that you've heard echoed, you know, years Uh, after, uh I think. Um, And then you'll have like music box sequences or Mm -hmm. Lucy's theme, um, you know, that are really eerie too and, and wonderful. Um, and then the love theme is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's oh, really, really good. Really yeah. good work, friends. Yeah, that I I think a lot about that cold open uh, mm-hmm. leading to the the Dracula that's been like like uh, punched into a metal bar. That flame mm-hmm. is literally like and no CGI. It's all just like a real practical shot of fire against a, a shiny metal and leading yeah. from, I renounce God. It sends that sword into the, <laughs> the cross, which starts bleeding everywhere. And just that, the sound of those cords that just hit and hold and hit and hold and hit and hold like four or five, five times, I think. Yeah, it's so just like bombastic and full of of agony and emotion. And, yeah, uh, like lingering horror. You, yeah, just like not not letting you relax. Yeah, you know, um, and oh, sorry, I lost what I was gonna say about that. But that, uh, oh, yeah, 
No, no, no. You're. Uh, you were saying that it echoes in other horror uh, musics that have come. There was one specifically that we were watching that you said. It's uh, it's the Wolfman 2010. Oh, Danny sure. Elfman yeah, yeah, yeah. scored that, but you can really hear that he's. I think going for Wojciech Kilar's Dracula score. Yeah, also, yeah. um, the original, the first Pirates of the Caribbean, which was Klaus Badelt, not Hans Zimmer, who did the later right. ones. Um, I think the marching of the of the the, the pirates underwater is very like you know dun 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 dun, dun. <laughs> not that that's not a popular thing to do have low strings going dun dun dun, dun. Hey, I guess but not, um but... it's yeah definitely ripple effects there yeah um mm-hmm. talk to me about uh. Coppola in this and how he went about uh, uh, crafting this story and did are you uh, like a fan of any of his other work and do, does this mark your favorite outing for him as a director? This absolutely is my favorite Coppola film for sure. I can't say that you know I've seen a bunch um, I have seen the Godfather films and I thought those were great um, but this is definitely my favorite. And I think, uh, yeah, the things that I like about it, like I said, the the whole element of just making you feel kind of unsettled by, you know, not being able to lock down um, anything like character yeah. or style. But uh, yeah, this I, I think this approach um, really resonated with me of uh, how do I phrase this? he doesn't explain anything. You know what I mean? Like Dracula stabs the cross and it's a stone cross and it starts bleeding and the room fills with blood, you know? Uh, And then like, what else is very, there are a few, or or like, or um, Jonathan Harker's whole experience in the castle. Like, it's like an Escher painting right like he's sometimes he thinks he's going up the stairs and then it turns out he's falling to the side and then he's going upside down and water drips up and you know like everything's just unsettling and unnatural and you can't really get your bearing you can't even get your bearing on what gravity is doing in this place so how could you even figure anything else out and I like that because um (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, if you if anyone listens to my podcast, uh, you know, like I, I, I don't really like explaining that stuff either. I think, you know, I'm with you in this story. I know that it's not I know that it's far fetched. <laughs> I'm going and understanding that. So I want to see some spectacular shit like sure. I want to go with that. And I think he does that. I think he throws reason to the wind and is like, you know what? It's um. <laughs> It's Dracula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like stuff <laughs> happens that isn't happening in real life, and it's a it's all a metaphor anyway. Sure. So let's go Why on this get journey. a little surreal with it. Yeah. Well, and apparently he had hired he had hired an effects crew and said, "Okay, this is what I'm hoping to do with each of these scenes." And the effects crew was like, "Well, we're gonna have to use some like computer generated imagery to do that." He was like, "Absolutely not. We're doing it in camera." And they're like, "In camera? No, it's impossible." So he fired them all and hired his son Roman Coppola to come on. And so hmm. most of the effects are achieved with like 
old vaudeville uh, uh, techniques yeah. and theatrical techniques and old cinema hacks. Uh, so like all the Escher stuff that you're talking about, even like the the meeting of um, Mina and Dracula, like that, sh- that mm-hmm. shooting them on the street in that uh, uh, eight millimeter film format and then changing to the big cinema cameras like that's mm-hmm. all in camera stuff um yeah. what else the uh the yeah, even the creating of the images of like uh uh the the letters as they're being written and then above the pages the like carriage is is riding across the way like delivering the letter that's being written like yeah, all of it's that all stuff old is, film techniques yeah 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 you know um which makes it feel like an old Dracula film or a Nosferatu or something sure. like it makes it, it gives you that. Um, I, I think that ominous like dread that you have yeah. watching old films like that, you know, like uh, makes me think of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, you know, all, sure. that, all that stuff. You really feel unsettled, but also kind of in familiar territory. It's, yeah. it's, it's interesting. Well, and it plays with the idea of like you were talking about it, it, things are unexplained and things are just strange and we just move on because it's such a beautiful image or whatever, but mm-hmm. it making it all happen in camera also allows for uh, it to feel real. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we know that something is up when she's, like, when they're cranking the, the film backwards to have her, like, go and sit down in the coffin, strangely. Mm-hmm. Like, we can feel that they're really shooting that. There's something that's really yes. happening on on screen. And not just, you know, you can very easily have just animated it in such a way or CGI'd it in such a way. Even back then in 1992, that would really not hold up today. And yet, in 1992, going back to these bygone kind of in-camera effect styles, you yeah. get to have something that really holds up even in, in 2021. Well, and that's something that I really respond to in horror as well. Like, I think that there's something much more frightening and visceral in watching that than watching CGI, you know? Like, again, going back to Rick Baker and uh, werewolf transformations, I think... I think that's something that I really like in horror movies, werewolf movies from like the 70s and the 80s is I think people kind of laugh at them now, but, um, or some people do, I don't. Um, but it it's so painful looking because you're seeing a, a real thing, even if it's made out of, you know, latex or whatever. Um, and something that's very... Um, I, I talked about Neil Jordan and Interview with the Vampire, and I talked about the you know the Angela Carter novel, which he did a film, The Company of Wolves, based on those stories in the Bloody Chamber, mm-hmm. um, and uh, like in both of those movies, Neil Jordan was really going for for those practical effects as well, and they're so bloody and so horrific that. Uh, I, I normally don't like that in horror, but mm. something about the way he does it and the way Coppola does it in this film, um, I like. And maybe it's because it looks a little bit fake in a way. You know, it's it's like when you watch the Muppets, obviously you know they're fake, yeah. but like you respond to them because they're in the room with that person. So, yeah. the, you know, like there there's um, more humanity to it somehow, even though you, you're aware it's a puppet. 
Like when the, Lestat dies, that's a puppet or gets yeah. his throat cut in Interview with the Vampire. That's a puppet. And it's incredibly gruesome. Yeah. And like it looks really painful. And I think it would be worse if they had Tom Cruise and CG. Like, like I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I, I think that there's something in that that's sort of theater, too, right? There, It's easier yeah. to uh, suspend your disbelief when looking at Kermit the Frog and just deciding that this is an actual frog having a conversation with that person. Uh, then sometimes there is when you just see, you know, Iron Man uh, flying across a, a obviously green screen set um, and landing somewhere. And you're like, eh, there's nothing real in this shot. I think you get numb to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if I can say like what Dracula films or vampire films have I seen that do it the other way like I think about <laughs> Van Helsing with Hugh Jackman that was a lot <laughs> yep. of CGI mm-hmm. or um, and the werewolf transformations or the underworld films is maybe sure. a good one too the Dracula werewolf transformations oh well I was gonna say as well <laughs> like of course he turned into a bat and flew away That's that was just a computer like sure yeah. you can put a million bats if it's a computer who cares like yeah. the sky's the limit and they, they tried and it it's not impressive because you're like, yeah, I guess you can do anything <laughs> if, you, if you do it that way. Well, but even the with the why... limited, yeah. That's sorry, the reason the... why you, oh, sorry, you got <laughs> No, I was just saying the limited capabilities that um, yeah. practical effects have, uh, you forgive because, I don't know, I don't know. It's It's somehow more impressive to me. Yeah. Not to discredit the work of, you know, um, the artists who do work on CGI, I, I do think that there's very much a time and a place and, and benefits to that. And like Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, one of my favorite games. It's, uh, the art in that is beautiful. But then yeah. I'd rather see the whole thing be CGI. Maybe that's sure. what it is, too. Anyway, sorry. Forget what were you all these say? actors and costumes and cameras and just just draw it for us. <laughs> yeah, with the exception of like Gollum. You know, where, but the heart of that was the performance. Well, and everything else around him is real. He's got Elijah Wood on camera. He's got uh, 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 Sam on camera. He's got that they're filming in New Zealand on mountaintops and stuff like they got real. Yeah. They're not acting to a tennis ball on a stick. They're acting with Andy Serkis. And then the, the artists are taking Andy Serkis's performance and animating that, you know? Sure. Um, anyway, yeah. Talk to me about uh, Anthony Hopkins. Not Anthony. We've talked about him. Talk to me about Gary Oldman in this movie. Oh, yeah. Um, I think overall it's a fantastic performance. I mm. have very little complaints with what he's doing. Um Ooh. Yeah. Let's start with the complaints. Oh, okay. Um, well, the only thing I can think of is like when he's in bed with her, with, with Winona Ryder. And that, that one scene is just a little bit silly where, (laughs) (laughs) where he turns into a fog, he murders (laughs) Renfield (laughs) and there goes Tom Waits. Um, another great performance in this film. Yeah, um, murders Renfield, sneaks under Mina's door as Fog, gets in her bed, they start making out, he goes to 
give her his blood, and then he's like, no, I can't do it. I love you too much. And she's like, do it! And then they do it, and then they play it like it's orgasmic, and that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's it's just very, A, it's an uncomfortable scene, even though, like, mm-hmm. I, I want to I see them make out. Like, I don't mind that. They should be making out. It's it's more the crying and the I love you too much and she's like you murdered Lucy but then immediately is like turn me into a vampire. It, yeah. You know what? Every moment they try to make we talked about this with Queen of the Dam didn't didn't we? Every time they try to make the woman in the vampire story say the love interest I should say um, go to the vampire and be like turn me into a vampire and he goes mm-hmm. no it's a terrible <laughs> existence and I don't want to do that to you and she goes do it and it's <laughs> so strange to me because there's never a compelling reason for her to to want to be she literally says you murdered my best friend yeah. and then wants to be his forever bride like it's a little hard to, that's the thing about being so accurate with the story in some ways, but then making it just a little more romantic is you're like, no, she, (laughs) like, (laughs) they shouldn't get along. (laughs) It's I guess (laughs) what I'm trying to say. Um, So I don't know if that's his fault, but it it did get a little bit like pathetic in that moment. Like he became a little too, when he's being romantic, it's a little silly. Or like when he's trying to seduce her on the street and is like, oh, pardon me, madam, but uh, which way is the cinematograph? And like, <laughs> it's like hitting on her and she's like, you know what I mean? It's like a, mo- it feels like a modern day, like, I don't know, cat call meet scene. Cute. And, yeah. I don't know. I don't need to see a meet cute between Dracula and Mina, you know? <laughs> and if I am looking for that, if I'm looking for, honestly, again, Langella and Kate Nelligan, um, yeah, seducing each other in that film is sure. way more sexy and more interesting too. Because like, I don't know, I don't know. It like like you said, they make it a meet cute in this one. They try to yeah. make it like a I don't know. So um, maybe not maybe not Gary Oldman's fault, but who who knows? Um, he uh, famously trained to lower his voice an octave to play the part mm-hmm. um and i i dig it i dig it i could see some people being like eh, it's a little it's a, it's a bit much <laughs> i could see some people say um but you know the whole movie's a bit much so <laughs> well that's the Go other thing i was it. gonna say like you were talking about that the not needing the logic or not needing the rules of some of the horror stuff uh in favor of just expressing something that's that's uh heightened and operatic and and emotionally uh gargantuan mm-hmm. um and it, that sort of comes across maybe a bit in the emotional stories that are being told about the characters as well uh, who cares if you know if she's like do you murder Why mina because him? that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well we don't, don't need, need to explain to it just They're- does <laughs> Well, and I guess it's like, she's the reincarnated wife. It's fine, you know, yeah, yeah. but like, yeah, fair enough. That that, <laughs> that does kind of extend the emotional, like, and also that Mina and Harker are so awkward. <laughs> and they get married and make out in a church in Romania and in front of do. some nuns. And I don't know, like their chemistry is both on and off. I don't know. And they actually went out, didn't they? Maybe uh, no, 
They didn't, no. But they they talked about having uh, uh, crushes on each other at the time mm. of filming, which has become a, a regular refrain in um, promoting <laughs> promoting stuff for Keanu Reeves is the girls who, uh, the women who he uh, starred opposite. Uh, he always, always had crushes on crush. and always had crushes on him, and they just went unsaid. However, uh, Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves were technically... I think for real married because they shot their oh, yeah. marriage in a real Greek Orthodox church in uh, LA uh, when they were doing reshoots. And the priest that they used wasn't an actor. It was an actual Greek Orthodox priest who just went through the ceremony of mm-hmm. marriage. So uh, now I guess whenever Winona Ryder texts Keanu, she starts at, Hey husband, <laughs> which is kind of cute. Aw, that is very yeah. cute. Yeah. So, uh, and anything else of Gary Oldman that you really enjoyed? Like, does is is there is there anything that saves other than the low voice? Does he do stuff that you're like, oh, that's that's an amazing Dracula? Sorry, can you repeat that? Uh, I accidentally pulled my headphones out. Oh, that's okay. I, I get <laughs> it. You just don't want to listen to me anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just it, it, what what is it about Gary Oldman's performance that um? sells you on it I think he's he's an interesting combination of over the top and subtle in this part both things that I think he does really well as an actor I think he has Mm -hmm. a lot of fun when he is left to his own devices I think Uh it seems like I could be wrong but as an actor that he likes to veer more towards the dramatic uh, the over the top um, but he's very good at the subtle, real things, too. And I think for Dracula, that's that's really spot on. Um, you know, Definitely. like he can do the fire and brimstone and the really arch evil thing. Um, but then, like, be an elegant gentleman who you understand why how, you know, she's being seduced by him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the entire parts in the castle where he's in the old makeup and the red cloak and everything is um, classic and very masterfully done. Very, again, theatrical. Mm. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what that means other than the whole performance. (laughs) It's a, it's a, it's a very, it's a very good performance. Yeah. I think I think in in something so bombastic, what I love about when Gary Oldman does let loose, and when he's doing subtle work, I do feel very. Uh, he's always very emotionally grounded in whatever mm-hmm. it is he's doing. He's uh, he's never general. He's very yeah. specific in what is going on at any given time, whether he's like screaming to the heavens uh, to curse God or. Uh, yeah, whispering to uh, someone he's trying to seduce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even if it, the, what he's having to say is sort of ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, and that for sure comes up where you're like, oh, that was maybe not the best line, but like, uh, you buy it if he's do yeah. if he's selling it. He talked about um, taking the, the. Someone asked him, like, so has Dracula always been like a bucket list role? And he was like, no, I don't care about Dracula that much. I just took the role because I wanted to be able to say to another person on film, I've crossed oceans of time to find you. 
<laughs> and I'm like, that, yeah. that, I mean, that is a oceans of time. <laughs> oceans of time. But it's, it's a good line. They throw it in the trailer for a reason. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's very evocative of what they're trying to yeah. do, I think. Yes. Yes, definitely. Cool. The the last three people that I really want to talk about uh, is uh, Carrie Elwes, Billy Campbell, and Richard E. Grant yeah. as the three suitors. Yes. I just think all three of those are absolutely inspired casting for those roles. Yeah, it's very perfect. I mean, uh, like, I, I we talked about how it is a rare event to see Carrie Elways as the least over the top of three <laughs> actors. You know what I mean? I would say that in the three, you've got Richard E. Grant stumbling and bumbling, still, of course, delivering a very heartfelt, you know, wonderful performance because he's absolutely, just but like high. But he's also, and, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And Billy Campbell, they, they were just like, you're the American. And he was like, I'm the American. <laughs> it's great. Um, <laughs> You know, but Carrie always in one of his more like subtle performances, you know, like he's not yeah. going around, um, you know, using his stage voice no. as he normally does. Um, and he has his moments in this for sure. But sure. Uh, as do all of them. I think all of them get a chance to. But yeah, it was specifically, I think, in that scene where they're executing the uh, uh, uh Lucy, where, yeah, he's in a room with, like, Richard E. Grant and Billy Campbell and Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Oh, my God. And he's, yeah, he's having to, he's the one driving the stake in, and yet he has to be be the most, the the most subtle performance in that entire scene. Yeah. Yeah. You've got Sadie Frost, like, contorting (laughs) backwards and, like, vomiting blood. You've got Anthony Hopkins Hopkinsing around the place. Yeah, Hopkinsing around like on the 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 the, uh, the fields of Wales with <laughs> blow winds crack your cheeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just going to town. Yeah, uh, they're. I mean, they're all great. I I, I especially love, um, obviously, Richard E. Grant's Doctor Seward. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the first time we've seen him portrayed as a as an addict um, oh no probably with nail and i because he's a drunk in that one no 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 i mean the character <laughs> oh i see i see gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> not, <laughs> i was like not <laughs> richard e grant kind of plays with that like, a little that's bit that's kind of his, his thing <laughs> no 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 um <laughs> no um dr seward i've yeah, certainly sure. seen in um there's a, a, a musical uh, I think from Quebec, uh, set in like a post-apocalyptic future of Dracula, where they make um, they make Seward an addict as well. But I assume I think they were probably inspired by this film. I sure. don't think there's anything in the book about it. No, um, I don't think so. Either. Definitely, like there's a lot of medical uh, stuff in it. Like they talk about, you know, they're doing a blood transfusion, even though it's not really a. It's sort of a new thing at this time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That hasn't been perfected. He definitely goes to morphine a lot with his patients. Like, he <laughs> jumps to morphine a lot, and you sort of learn that that's probably because he's addicted to it. Sure. Um, and 
then will go treat his patients while under the influence. And that was like, whew. Um, yeah. It's dark. It's one Very. of the darker. It's weird to say that that's one of the darker things in this Dracula movie where everyone's getting murdered and like, you know, it's there's a lot of dark stuff in this. But I found that to be like probably Seward and Renfield's stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, especially because you have Richard E. Grant and Tom Waits who are in the same, I put them in the same boat in my mind of um, <laughs> intensity and darkness and yeah. sincerity. You know what I mean? Like their realism, the yeah. realistic portrayals of mental illness and addiction are one of the more harrowing elements of this film. Definitely. Um, so that well, was and I really... Think- Super clear, uh, like Coppola is super clear about, I think, what he's trying to portray or show or say about uh, (laughs) uh, the treating of mental illness, Mm -hmm. I think, or at least drawing the conclusion, like, look at Renfield and, uh, oh, fuck, what's Richard E. Grant's name? Dr. Seward. Seward. Uh, Seward and Renfield are like a hair's breadth away from each other. Like they're exactly. not that far from each other. And yet one is uh, the, the treater and one is the treated. And I don't yes. know that Coppola has anything that clear to say about, uh, I don't know, like uh, uh, Transylvanian immigrants or even like love, like other than it's <laughs> it, it, immortal. Like, I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It, the it, rest of it is a little bit like, just go with me. They're in love. Yeah. Or yeah, he's not really in the same way that um, other films, like you said, yeah, have made it about like, uh, we have to be afraid of foreigners stealing our women. You know, he's yeah. not making a statement about that in either direction. He's it's just telling really a Dracula a, story. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But not, when it comes to the 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 hospital, yeah. um yeah, you feel there is a strong statement there. You're right yeah. about that. And he picked the two right people to tell that story. <laughs> he sure did. God did he ever. Yeah. yeah. And Billy Campbell, I I mentioned already once before, but I, he's he's the lead guy in The Rocketeer and he did not have a huge career. Like he worked, but he didn't blow up in any way and I thought that his yeah, his performance in this is awesome. It's yeah. really funny. It's really grounded. It's really it's, it's exactly what you need from that character. Well, and because he is spoiler alert, the one of the team post Lucy, I guess, to die, Um, like in the big final battle with Dracula, like Seward and Carrie always, uh, Homewood, Arthur, (laughs) I I forgot his character name, and Harker and Ben Helsing, like they all make it out okay, but the one sort of family member in the, you could say in the Vampire Hunters, is Quincy. Yeah. Um, And... He kind of, because he was introduced as he's this Texan and he's rich and he's in love with Lucy, but he's also very sincere. Like, he's, yeah. he seems like just a sweetheart, you know, like yeah. uh, very hard on his sleeve type of guy. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen a ton of Billy Campbell's work. I saw The Rocketeer once, but like, it seems like that's something he's good at, right? Is he's like, Absolutely. you know, a very open kind of guy, you know, sweetheart. And uh, so then when he when he does die, it's very 
you you feel it, you know? Yeah. If it was Homewood, you'd be like, hey. <laughs> not to say that anybody dying is good, but like Homewood's a little snarky and know-it-all. Dr. Stewart yeah. has got, because, you know, he's got darkness in him already. It, it yeah. wouldn't be, let's just say it wouldn't be like surprising. It would be sad, but like, sure. you know, you picked the, like the, the little boy, basically. <laughs> you picked the, yeah. the one who was a big kid. And uh, it, it is very sad and heart-wrenching. And I think yeah. um, he did a good job. Yeah. So all in all, why is this particular Dracula a, a better Dracula movie than the other Dracula movies that came before it and came after? If you had to sum up. Um, so I'm not 100% sure that I would say it's the best one. Um, but what does it do better? Uh, let me think. I, I think overall... it's going to be more of a, it feels like more of a cinematic experience than any other that I've seen. You know, it feels sure. like you're sitting down and watching like, like a Les Mis level play. You know, it's <laughs> going to be long. It's going to be uh, like sumptuous to look at. It's going to be, have a beautiful score. It's a feast. It's a feast for the eyes and the ears. <laughs> um <laughs> And you even get some laughs if, you know, you're okay with laughing at Keanu Reeves' accent. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's fun. And it's a fun movie to watch when you're high. I think of all the Dracula movies, yeah. it's the best one to watch when you're stoned. Because, yeah. you know, again, I don't know if I'd say it's, like, the hands-down best Dracula in the world. Like, I do, I would also refer people to, um, yeah, the, the one from the 70s with Frank Langella. I think sure. that, that one is perhaps a bit more of a... Uh, well, I, I don't want to say intelligent movie because that's not quite fair, but like it, it's more of a it's taking the text and doing more with it. It's it knows what mm. it's saying, maybe a little bit more than just being like, buckle up. Here we go, which is what I think this movie is doing. This one is more of a ride. Yes. Yeah, a much better uh, party movie than Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Chris. And well, that brings us to the end of our second segment, which means it's time for yet another game. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I am. Well, I'll tell you what, you better be, because this is a very special game that has been created just for this episode. <gasps> and this is a game called Reefer Madness. Reefer Madness. Which is the Dracula Trivia Edition. Do it. So, I'm so ready. I have some very, uh, very. Uh, hard questions for you because you're such a, a Dracula fan and a fan of this movie. So we're going to see how much you get right. Are you ready? Right. I sure am. All right. Number one, Prince Vlad's scream after he drives the sword into the cross is actually made by Lux Interior, lead singer of what punk band? Um, their name is Lux Interior. The name of the singer is Lux Interior, and okay. he, uh, he comes from a punk band, and he's the one who gives the scream that is uh, that is coming out of Gary Oldman. Okay, uh, I don't know. Is it is it uh, Ramones? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's the, the only cramps. Punk band. Oh, the Cramps. Okay, the Cramps is the name of the band. Got All it. All right. 
Uh, question two, which executive producer of this movie was originally slated to direct it as a direct-to-TV movie before the script was given to Francis Ford Coppola by Winona Ryder? Was it A, Robert O'Connor, B, Michael Apted, or C, James V. Hart? Uh, Michael Apted? It was Michael Apted. All right. Yeah, he was he was going to direct it. He's the director of uh, Nell, The World Is Not Enough, which is a James Bond movie, and episodes of Rome and Bloodline. Mm, cool. All right, number three. This actor, who ranges from Coen Brothers movies to Adam Sandler movies, was the first choice to play Renfield before Tom Waits was cast. Uh, what were the... You said Adam Sandler movies to... What was the other Coen stuff? Brothers movies. Coen Brothers. Um, let's see. Was gonna be Renfield. Um, I don't know. Can you give me a hint? <laughs> sure. Uh, it, it, his initials are SB. Sam Bones. <laughs> I don't know who is it. He uh, it was a, a volunteer firefighter, even while being an actor, and uh, helped uh, uh, get people out of the rubble uh, uh, after uh, the terrorist oh, attack in 2001. Steve Buscemi. Sure was. Yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. That would have been good. But I still love Tom Waits yeah. in this, so I wouldn't want to give away that that performance. But I think Steve Buscemi would have been an excellent Redfield. Yeah, he would have been great. Yeah. Uh, true or false, the character of Dracula in this movie identifies himself as Prince Vlad, which originated in the novel by Bram Stoker. You said true or false? Yes, indeed. I mean, he does identify himself as Prince Vlad in the film, so that's true. Yes. Um, so did that originate in the novel? No, I don't think so. I'm going to say false. It is false. Yeah. Nowhere in the book before. does he refer to himself as Prince Vlad only as Dracula, which ah. obviously was taken from Prince Vlad, but uh, not used in the novel. Right. Okay, I see. Cool. Number five. Which actor from this book went on to read an audiobook adaptation of Dracula? Uh. I want to say either Carrie Elways or Richard E. Grant. It was Richard E. Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. I feel like that would be up your alley too. Yeah, I gotta to find to. it. Yeah. Um, and this movie won, uh, uh, was nominated for four Academy Awards. How many did it win? Two? No, I'm sorry. It only won one. Costume? Oh, no, it won three. Sorry. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, costume was one of them. Yeah, yeah, Makeup? Yeah. Uh, ooh, God, I don't know now. Well, that's Dracula. okay. If I were to guess, I would say costumes and makeup. Yeah. Dracula. But maybe editing or something, or something to do with the effects. 
Yeah, it, they were all technical ones, uh, but I don't know which ones. Dracula Academy Awards. Best makeup and hairstyling, best costume design, and best sound editing. Mm, cool. From David Eastone, Tom McCarthy, uh, and then Aiko Ishioka. Mm-hmm. Greg Canham, Michelle Burke. Yeah. So it won three of them. Uh, and uh, uh, just for funsies, because this is our last uh, Halloween one, can you mm-hmm. make, uh, just right now, off the top of your head, make the yeah. scariest sound that you can think of? Oh. <laughs> Was it good? Yeah. I could, I could yeah. do it a, a different one. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That was great. Uh, uh, yeah. Just, uh, if I asked you to do a second one, what would that one sound like? Uh, it would be like, you know, those witches or those ghosts that bounce up and down and go. <laughs> I like those. Yeah, that's very scary. All right. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to find out if Kristen puffs or passes on Bram Stoker's Dracula right here on Let's Bogart. Don't go anywhere. Yep. All right, Kristen, we're back, and we are looking for a puff or pass on Bram Stoker's Dracula. Since you chose it, I'm pretty sure I know where you fall down on this, but right now, do you puff or pass? Puff or pass? I puff it. Yeah. Yeah, this was like one of my, and I feel like I talked, I must have talked about this before on your show, about um, how, you know, uh, back when I was a teenager, this was one of my most memorable experiences. Yeah. Um, watching a movie while high. Um, is that okay for me to say? Definitely. When I was fully over 18. <laughs> <laughs> no, other people talk about it. We're, we're, listen, you're, you're listening to a weed show. Guess what? Some people try it before. Should they have? Probably not. But we all do yeah. things that we shouldn't have done, maybe. Yeah, but it was one of my favorite movie watching experiences. And sure. uh, I will always hold that dear to my heart. So it's an mm-hmm. absolute puff. It's a great movie to watch uh under under an influence sure it's so colorful and it's so arch and the music is so evocative the costumes the performances are out there everything about it sort of Mm -hmm. screams this is going to be a wild halloween ride yes highly recommend all right so if people are smoking uh uh some great weed maybe they're smoking some gmo cookies from spinach Mm -hmm. and they watch uh dracula and because they're no longer high they (laughs) have another toke of the gmo cookies Mm -hmm. uh what movie should they watch afterwards to make it a double feature night Hmm. i think you should watch the wolfman 2010 because oh. it's in the same world, I think. I think it's in the same heightened, surreal place. Mm-hmm. You get Anthony Hopkins double feature going bananas, um, which is fun. And uh, if you liked the music in Dracula, you'll like uh-huh. the Danny Elfman score in The Wolfman, which is clearly influenced by it. I think it's in the same world, you know? Yeah. I wouldn't pair it with another Dracula just because that's that's no. a lot of Dracula for one night. That's too much Dracula. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if you want to see another monster, some transformations, some similar kind of scares and similar kind of like set dressings, uh, I, I think I think that'd be a good one. I love that. 
I love that so much. I I, I was going to say, now I know that you just uh, uh, called people out for too much Dracula, but I was going to say a great pairing of it would be Dracula dead and loving it. Oh, yeah, that would just be fun to finish the night right with after. a funny Dracula. Yeah. yeah, and one that specifically is targeting uh, the Francis Ford Coppola movie. Like that's true. Like uh, Men in Tights was a, a takeoff of the original Robin Hood, uh, Errol Flynn, and uh, Robin Hood: Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. I think uh, Mel Brooks was doing the original Dracula with Bela Lugosi and this Dracula that was popular in the '90s at the time. Yes, yes, he was indeed. It's definitely going off of both. So Maybe even a touch a, of Nosferatu? I'm not sure. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I think it would be a, a fun a fun time. You'd, you'd certainly get a lot out of watching that and then watching right away the, the, the parody version that's taking off from it. There's a lot of cool details in that one. And Peter mm-hmm. McNichol's performance as Renfield is just... Oh, it's very special. Oh, it's, it's incredible. So, one of the most incredible comedy performances in all of celluloid history. He's so yeah. good. All right, Kristen. Well, thank you so much for coming and doing this very special Halloween episode. I'm very excited to get to spend Halloween with you. Yeah. Um, people are listening to this on Halloween. Uh, and so what? Uh, wh- uh, where can they find you and where? what can they uh, celebrate with you at this, uh, uh, the end of this Halloween season? Uh, you can find me on my podcast on a dark, cold night. Uh, you can find that at kristenzaza.com slash podcast or any podcast app. Um, and yeah, you, I just released my Halloween episode yeah. yesterday, so you can find that there. It's episode 167, but, uh, you know, listen to, listen to whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I to say? No, the latest one is great. Are, are there other? There obviously must be another Halloween, couple Halloween episodes. This uh, was number the four. The this was number four. Number so four. you can definitely check out. Uh, there's All Hallow Tide, All Hallow Tide Part Two, Three, and Four. They're Wicked. a year apart, so you'd have to do a little snooping to find them. But yeah, <laughs> amazing. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for being on the program. Well, thank you for having me. I don't really get to say this to many guests as they sign off, but I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I I hope you don't. A lot of them are like, oh, all right, Daniel. (laughs) Uh, All right, Daniel. Bye-bye then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's it, buds. That's the show for Halloween. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I, I, I'm so pleased to have you uh, uh, listening to the program, and I hope you enjoyed this last month of all Halloween long. You can follow Kristen Zaza at Kristen underscore Zaza on Instagram and follow her podcast at Dark Cold Night Podcast on Instagram. And on Twitter at a dark cold night. You can follow me on Instagram at Daniel Williston. Uh, you can follow uh, uh, the guy who did all the music, this awesome Halloween version, and the other versions. Uh, uh, JJ Thompson. You can follow him at JJ and his dog. Uh, you can follow Let's Bogart at Let's Bogart on all the platforms, including TikTok, which we have now. We're gonna do some more of those coming up. 
jump on uh, uh, give us a rate and review on iTunes podcast on, on Apple podcast rather and Spotify listen wherever you can and tell a friend about us we love getting the word out there if you're interested in weed interested in movies send us a line tell us what you'd like to hear tell us about a guest you'd like to see maybe we can make it happen so thanks for listening to this another episode and tune in this coming Thursday when we bogart once more It feels like more of a cinematic experience than any other that I've seen. You know, it feels like you're sitting down and watching like like a Les Mis level play. You know it's gonna be long, it's gonna be uh, like sumptuous to look at, it's going to be have a beautiful score. It's a feast, it's a feast for the eyes and the ears. <laughs> um, and you even get some laughs if you know you're okay with laughing at Keanu Reeves' accent. Like, it's, it's, it's fun, and it's a fun movie to watch when you're high. I think of all the Dracula movies, it's the best one to watch when you're stoned.